0: What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp, Managing Editor of FightfulMMA.com. The Fightful MMA podcast is back. I am joined today by one showdown Joe, a veteran of Las Vegas and Toronto. Well, I am still a relative rookie of of both areas, Joe.
2: Well, yeah. I, I mean, when I saw the news that you were in Vegas, I thought to myself, what's his liver going to be like when he gets back? But then I realized you're not, you're not a drinker. You don't have a good, I mean, you, you don't, Partake in the in the wobbly pops. But uh, yes, being myself being a veteran of Las Vegas, I think I've gone, I mean I could count behind me, but probably 19, 20 times over my career. Uh, the first six or seven trips, Sean, I can assure everyone tuning in right now. I didn't do any, <laughs> I didn't do my liver any favors, and then I quickly realized this is not sustainable. So it completely changed the next what ten or twelve trips. So
0: well, I, I can tell you, I don't drink, but I still didn't do my organs any favor. Like I was trying to figure out why I was so dry there the first few days. Yeah. yeah. Then I was told, well, it might be the fact that you drank the tap water. That's a bad idea. Uh, bottled water costs about nine dollars there. Yeah. So I started to just bite the bullet and do that. But what I've, I've learned bought is one of
2: these a while ago, Sean. I take this with me when I travel. Uh-huh. It's got a filter. Oh, in okay. There. Huh. And you, you, you literally just fill this up. And when it comes back out, it's, it doesn't matter what kind of water you use. It's always going to be filled. I think it to Japan and stuff. Yeah.
0: I'm going to be purchasing one of those as I'll be traveling more. Now, this wasn't for MMA at all, but I think that Las Vegas is so tied to MMA. It would be kind of good to recap my experience and give some advice for first time people. Uh, one, don't take the cabs, take Uber or else you're going to pay $45 to go from the airport to Caesars Palace. Uh, that's a pain in the ass. Uh, The smoke there. Mother of God, the smoke there. Yeah. That's what had me so dried out.
2: Yeah. Every casino, anywhere and everywhere you go, smoking is fully permitted. You just got to make sure you follow the – you stay away from the clouds.
0: That's about it. So the thing is, my grandmother's getting up there in years. She's in her 70s. She loves Las Vegas, loves gambling. And I had considered about a year or two Mm -hmm. ago, like, maybe I should finance a trip for her or go with her on one. She would not like Las Vegas anymore, at least based on what I saw. Now, to be fair, Jimmy Van tells me, out of all the times he's been to Vegas, he said like 50 times, this weekend was the busiest ever. Oh, had, Memorial Day, yeah. Memorial Day. Had nothing yeah. to do with the AEW show or anything like that that I went to. It was Memorial Day, and it also happened to be the most expensive <laughs> weekend up there, I would imagine, with the likes of Independence Day and all that stuff. But Vegas is an just
2: experience. Just, I was just going to say the exact same thing. that the, the best times that we always had – or when the UFC would hold events on Memorial Day weekend and or Independence Day weekend. Uh, Vegas is a mess as it is, but on those two weekends, it is a gong show of epic proportions. It is fun, 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 to say the least.
0: So I was actually impressed at how easy Las Vegas is to navigate. It is a true tourist city. The airport, among the easiest I've ever dealt with in my life, besides the long lines at TSA, and as Joseph Bosa says, MMA fans can use this as advice for international fight week. Yeah, that's why I'm doing it, man. Like, I'm not a traveler. I'm I'm small town, city of 200. Like, I don't do that. Vegas was very easy between Ubers. Uh, Every I called it the opposite of Toronto, uh, Joe, because everything in Toronto goes underground at points of the year. Yeah. Everything in Las Vegas is above ground, overpasses and walkways, and they construct. <laughs> these overpasses to force you to walk through malls along the way. That way you, you walk by the Gucci places, you walk by Prada, you walk by all that stuff just to go to CVS and get your bottle of water and your travel lotion or whatever it may be. Your wet wipes. You got to go through all this expensive stuff just to get there. Um, There were huge Tyson Fury. uh, I don't want to say posters, but uh, virtual billboards up there. Like, it is a special city. I encourage everybody to go once. I do not encourage them to go during Memorial Day weekend. I would not advise that. I would advise them to find out when the least busy time is and then go then. Uh, also, Joe, I, d- I don't know how you feel about toddlers, but there are a lot in Las Vegas. People who put their face down into their phone and just walk and don't yep. pay attention to anything they're doing gets on my nerves so bad. So here, here's what I got to ask you, Joe. Yeah you're not traveling to Las Vegas often for work. So do you ever get that itch after you've been there so many times? Are you like, yeah, I want to go to Las Vegas. I can tell you personally, I won't get that unless I have to work. I I feel like I've seen the loudest experience possible there.
2: I would go back to Vegas in a heartbeat. There was a point in time when I almost uh, decided to purchase a house there because we were going there so often. Sure. Uh, Roy Nelson and his wife, uh, you know, found a, recommended a place to a couple places to me, and it was, you know, 25 30% of what my house was worth here. Uh, so it would have been a simple buy, and I was gonna, you know, had a deal going with Sportsnet that we were gonna rent it out to anyone that needs to go to, to Vegas for to cover any events, whether it's the NBA uh, All Star game or NBA weekend or anything in the area, they could have used it. So that's how, how I would, I remember Sean when I used to land. I would in my you know you had that voice in your head I would literally land on the tarmac and be like home sweet home I'm back like I, I never ever got sick of it always loved it um uh I, I'd go back in a heartbeat now believe it or not of, of the 1920 times that I've gone I've never enjoyed it as a tourist yes. because I'm always working so I don't even know how what I would do I mean there's so many things to do in Vegas, but I wouldn't even know how to plan a trip right now if you said that we're going to Vegas, uh, just not to work, just to be tourists. So uh, I, you know, I would do it in a heartbeat. I absolutely love that city.
0: So also, like I said, a tra- I'm a travel rookie very much. Uh, I, the way that I explained it to people when they asked if I had been to Vegas, I said that it was the first time I've been west of San Antonio and the second, <laughs> the second time I've been west of Indianapolis. So I, I don't travel a lot. Boy, the, the joyous surprise to me when I hadn't slept in two days and I learned that the flight home was only three hours, while, whereas the flight there was, was five because of the jet stream or whatever yep. it may be. Yep. That, that was a nice shock to me. I was very happy about that. What uh, hotel did you guys stay at? uh caesar's palace oh nice very nice okay. yeah it, it was a really great hotel jimmy had a suite it was uh, a good time uh not a lot of mma related stuff but there were some mma related guests joe tank abbott was there no way yeah tank abbott was there ken shamrock was there chris cyborg was there Uh-oh. and uh, a little birdie told me oh shoot that tank abbott was like criticizing what kind of steroids cyborg was doing what, what? He said, "She's on the wrong kind of gas. That's gas for men." Oh no! Oh yeah. no! So there you go. <laughs> well,
2: fun, fun fact about Caesar's Palace: Did you? Got, did you and Jimmy pass by the sports book? Uh,
0: no, I don't believe so.
2: That's where UFC Central was born. My TV show okay. was born there. Yeah, it was the that was the day that I pitched my producer at the time, who was a high ranking, um, uh, I guess, manager producer at the network. And it was our first trip, UFC 79, covering Chuck Liddell, uh, Vanderlei Silva, Matt Hughes, George St. Pierre. And we decided to walk the strip from, uh, we were staying at Mandalay Bay, and we decided to walk the strip to see how far we could, we'd have one drink per hotel, and yeah. see how far we could make it. And we made it to Caesars Palace, that was as far as we could go, because it was just <laughs> insane. Uh, and then he just started complimenting me about the work that I do, and You know, the the people that I know in the area, the people that I know in the business. And then I said, look, man, at the time I had a BlackBerry and I turned my BlackBerry around. I go, this is my idea for a TV show. And as, you know, intoxicated as we were, he just reviewed it all and he just saw this is a diamond. We've got to figure this out. We went back to the network, boom, pitched it. Different executives got involved. And next thing you know, the show was born.
0: So I guess what happened in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas, Joe. For one time, that is correct. <laughs> I had a good time there. Jimmy treated us very well, so a big thank you to him. If you're a fan of wrestling, which I know most of you who watch this show are as well, we're gonna have comment our content really probably over the next couple of months out of this thing. It was a blast. Um, I, you know, I, I wonder if I'll go back for an MMA related event. It's possible. Obviously, the UFC doesn't think too highly of us for reasons, but. Hey, we'll see how it is. Uh, Las Vegas, though. If you all have any questions about like a first time experience, hit me up. Hit up Joe if you want somebody who is uh, a little more experienced in in that regard. But uh, some stuff happened while I was gone, Joe, including some I, I could say some fightful related stuff. As Elias Theodoru is a fightful veteran, he's a buddy of ours. And Jimmy told me I can't remember what day it was that Elias had been released and. I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. And the thing is, there are people in the UFC who don't put on boring performances and win. They put on terrible performances, get their asses kicked, and they're there after six or seven losses. So I get it. Andre Arlovsky has more name value than Elias Theodorou. Joe. Mm-hmm. But when I see that and I'm like, uh, okay, Elias is 16-3. and three. He's never lost two in a row. He is eight and three in the company. He's gone, and I get it. He hasn't had a finish since 2015. You can't do that in the UFC and expect to stay around. But you get rid of him, and you keep an Andrei Arlovsky who is boring. And I'm not. I'm not like championing someone losing their job. I'm just comparing the scenario. I, I'm. I'm. I'm not confused by it. I know why they did it. He doesn't put on exciting fights, but neither does this other guy. When you look at that, do you say, man, it is really a matter of the fact that Arlovsky has won a UFC title and Elias hasn't?
2: Name value, needle mover, right? That's all it really is in, in this type of situation. Uh, I think Elias is is the unfortunate byproduct of, of what I think is eventually going to happen in the UFC. And we've talked about it at length where they're going to be trimming the roster. And uh, it's almost, you know, call it coincidental, call it ironic. I'm leaving for Ryzen. Uh, on Thursday and and their mantra has always been the same as when they owned pride. You know, we don't care if you win or lose, just put on exciting performances and they will not bring you back if you win uh, and you don't have an exciting performance, but they will bring you back if you lose and, and you fought like the samurai warriors. Right. So uh, unfortunately for Elias that, you know, he's gone to the, the decision so many times, I'm going to probably be having lunch or, or at least a coffee with him next week um, to discuss a whole bunch of things. But uh, the unfortunate byproduct for him is that, you know, is that even that last fight in Ottawa, you know, it wasn't exciting for the fans. They were booing him and it's, it's getting in the cage is not an easy thing to do. Uh, but unfortunately what, what the UFC wants to see and what the fans unfortunately want to see, I mean, you can thank those fans in Ottawa that booed him that helped make that decision for the UFC, right? Like you booed one your own, now he's gone. You kept your mouth shut and just, you know, kind of wished him well, or, you know, kind of cheered him on as best you could, even though it may have been a boring fight in your eyes. He might still be around, but this, this is what I think is going to happen. Eventually a lot of these guys are going to be getting cut or girls are going to be getting cut uh, because of, of quote unquote lackluster performances.
0: Yeah. And so a little bit, I don't want to say career advice. Elias is a smart dude. He knows what he's going to do next. He has a pro wrestling background. I'd be taking some pro wrestling bookings here and there. I would really diversify that. Uh, That being said, he is still 30 years old. I mean, he turns 31 in a few days, uh, but there I'm sure there are options. If I were him, I would try to get involved in a PFL tournament because awesome. I, yeah, yeah you're right. And I don't doubt that he could win that and walk away with a million dollars. The thing about Bellator is they like really good fighters and they like people, even if they're boring fighters. Yeah. That, that isn't really a, a qualm for them. Um, what do you see as the next step for Elias?
2: Um, He's got plenty of options outside of the cage. Uh, I would like to see him in the pro wrestling world, uh, even though I don't. As you know, I don't watch much pro wrestling. I tried putting it on the other day for my son, and he's like, "No, no, I don't want to watch this, Daddy. I want to watch something else." Okay, I tried, uh, but for Elias, yeah, I think pro wrestling. That, that's how most
0: pro wrestling fans are these days. Is it that bad? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. But in terms <laughs> of Elias, uh,
2: I, you know what? I'm I'm sorry. I didn't even think PFL. But PFL might be a fantastic option for him. Uh, Bellator would be great. I think with a good gimmick, and he's got the gimmick, taking it over to Ryzen if possible. Um, You know, he's got that. I mean, think about what you can do with Elias with Ryzen. I mean, with King Mo coming out there with the crown and, and all the women behind them. I mean, Elias is that guy that's got, you know, his women absolutely love this guy. He can play that off as a gimmick. Uh, in rising in Japan, no problem. But I, I like the PFL angle. I do like the wrestling angle. And like I said, he's got plenty of projects outside of, of MMA uh, that will hopefully start paying the bills for him.
0: He wasn't the only guy fired. Uh, Marcelo Golm, he lost three straight fights. That, that'll get you out the door. You also have uh, the likes of Eric Shelton, who went – I think he had lost – gosh, he had went win-loss, win-loss, but he lost three – coming into the UFC, or I think he lost his last fight on tough, his first two in the UFC, so he was like two and four. That'll happen to uh Dmitry Smoklyov. He lost to Greg Hardy the last go around. The way that Dana White spoke about him after that fight, you knew that he was getting cut. But um Idolov was the surprising one to me because he won his uh he won his UFC debut in like 2017 but the thing is he hasn't fought since then and pulled from his fight with Devin Clark I know that he uh got hurt in 2016 so the guy's been under contract since 2015 Joe and had one fight and he looked impressive in it but this is one that I don't really blame the UFC I get it the guy is 17 and 4 but if you've had him under contract for the better part of 4 years and he's fought one time maybe it's time to move on there.
2: Yeah, no 100%. I mean it, at its core, uh, you know, as long as, as as fans remember or people remember, even the pundits, at its core the UFC is a business before it's a sport. Right? The, the yeah. sport is one thing, the business is another. Now, if you're sitting there making decisions on behalf of your business and your business is the UFC, bottom line is when it comes to business, you need to maximize profit. So therefore if your fighters uh, are the are part of the properties that make you profit, um, you, know, you don't want fans booing your fighters. You don't want fans or you don't want fighters that aren't going to put on exciting performances per se, right? It's so much easier to talk about this when you're not the one stepping into the cage and having to fight someone who's trained just as much as you to knock your head off into the second row uh, and then do so in a manner that lasts more than 30 seconds because most people only know fighting is 30 seconds in the street, at a bar, whatever. You get a fight, 30 seconds later, it's over. No, this is going on for 15 to 25 minutes. Totally different mindset. Uh, and you're doing it in front of you know thousands of people in attendance and millions worldwide so it, it, it's not an easy thing for the fighters but from a business perspective plenty of fighters out there bring in the ones that you believe are going to be exciting
0: Wilson Hayes cut this is something that you and I had speculated before if you're a flyweight and you lose you're probably gone they, they don't even have a top 15 anymore they have like a top 13 I yeah. think and since Demetrius Johnson beat the brakes off of Wilson Hayes, that since that night he's one and four. To me, okay, bye. There's there's no room for you anymore. Flyweight's twelve, top twelve. Yeah, fly okay. It's the flyweights top twelve now. Yeah. And uh, he lost to some really good fighters. Demetrius Johnson, Jesse Formiga, even Yuri Alcantara, Henry Cejudo, Moraga, Pantoya. But it's time to go. And you know what? he's got a whole world in Japan that will probably embrace him and give him a shot. At least Uh, that is a real safe Haven for some of the lighter weight fighters, especially some of the lighter weight fighters that have reached the levels of facing a Demetrius mighty mouse Johnson at the very least. But what did you think of, of uh, Wilson Hayes getting the boot?
2: Well, I mean, you you talked about it for weeks, right? You, You lose at flyweight and you can't contend for the title. You're gone, right? I mean, you contended for the title. Uh, At that point, there you become someone that has to remain uh, or continue to win just to maintain your ranking. And if you start to lose and start slipping down the 125 pound rankings list, you're done. So it's it sucks, but that's the reality.
0: Justin Willis was another guy that got cut, and Mm -hmm. you know, he's met a whole lot of success, but apparently, he had turned down a fight I think was next month or in July because he was afraid he couldn't make weight. He's a heavyweight, Joe. I know. I know. You know what? Do I feel for Justin Willis? I sure do. Do I blame the UFC? It's easy to blame the UFC. We talk about the big bad UFC all the time. I don't blame them in this instance.
2: I don't either. I don't either. I mean, it's it's, it's a weird scenario. I think there's more to it behind the scenes that we don't know, or some of the stuff that he said in the past, and uh, some of the stuff that he said on social media. But I think there's more to this than than anything. But uh, it seems like that everybody right now with the UFC has got a very very short. Not everybody, but most fighters now. If you're not in the top ten, top five, per se, and you're not a flyweight. You got a short leash, man. Don't don't mess around with uh, UFC matchmakers, and if Dana's in a bad mood, you're done.
0: And that's what happened. I mean, he he didn't take the fight. I, I was like, okay, I understand it. You got to go. Uh, there were a couple of fights announced. Uh, upcoming, we have, uh, let me check, uh, Carvalho versus Chidi Inja-Kawani for Bellator 224. We have, uh, my God, where is it? Uh, Leon Edwards at least challenging Rafael Dos Anjos. The fight is is far from set or anything like that. But uh, Mirsad Bektik versus Josh Emmett is set for UFC Sacramento. That's a solid uh, fight. That is, that is a damn good fight. I, I want your thoughts on at least the latter
2: uh it's a good matchup man it's just it's just you know i'm wondering how josh's health is right now because wasn't he injured pretty bad in his last fight seems so yeah so it's just a matter of his health but he should be fine because sacramento's not till what july or june yeah um and and there's another fight that you're going to be talking about in about 18.4 seconds um (laughs) that's going to be on that card someone's coming out of retirement but uh yeah you know what I like that fight. It's, it's, it's going to be an explosive fight. I mean, we start getting high-level guys in that division competing against each other, it's got to be a fun fight.
0: So uh, instead of the fight that you were talking about, I'm going to mention another hypothetical fight, one that we've spoken about for years, Joe. Mm-hmm. Ryan Bader, Daniel Cormier, which has only gotten more interesting yeah. since that night. Isn't that wild? Like Crazy. When, when Ryan Bader crashed that interview, you and I were like, strike while the iron is hot, because I don't think that Ryan Bader would ever be hotter. We, we didn't, I couldn't have imagined Ryan Bader in a better situation to fight Daniel Cormier than that single night. As it turned out, that stock has just shot through the roof beyond what I would call a ceiling. Like, I could have never imagined a situation where not only was that not the high, but it's a relative bottom floor low since then both Daniel Cormier and Ryan Bader have become double champions in their respective companies uh Daniel Cormier said quote uh, on the MMA hour quote I think Ryan's done tremendous for himself he's always been a hard worker uh it's exciting to watch him gain a level, level of success that he never got to in the UFC and when they, and the chances he did get there he kind of faltered with that being said he just really dominated those guys and because King Mo I watched him uh tech Bader in wrestling maybe scored 10 takedowns. Bader truly had to reset his mind, to even compete against him, knowing that his best skill is axed off. He can't, couldn't even use it against a guy like Mo. He dominated Mitrione, knocked out Mo. It's been good to watch him do what he did, but he wouldn't be able to fight me. I like the guy, but it's just different. It's a different approach. At the end of the day, I'm just a nasty old boy. I learned that from Josh Barnett. You get in there, you rub their elbow in their face, kind of run your hand over their mouth. Uh, I'll end the quote there. What What do you think? I mean, personally, this is just such an underrated fight that I want to see so badly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic fight. I think you know,
2: anyone that doesn't want to see this fight isn't being realistic. Uh, but in being realistic, it's not going to happen. The UFC has nothing to gain from this fight. Uh, Bellator has everything to gain from this fight. And UFC has basically nothing. It's more of a, yeah, our guy can beat your guy for the UFC. But what happens if he doesn't for whatever reason? Right? Makes the UC look real bad. Stock value drops. Bellator uh, has a guy champion, you know, a champ champ that beat a champ champ. So, UC has way more to lose in, in putting on this, you know, fictional cross promotional fight than Bellator, who would do this in a heartbeat. I mean, they would probably negotiate whatever they wanted to get this fight, uh, you know, give up a lot more than what they would normally do if there was a co promotion. For example, with Ryzen bringing fighters back and forth, right? Um, it, it'd be a fantastic fight because the older Daniel Cormier gets, uh, the better it is for Ryan Bader, right? But the reality is, I can't see this fight happening unless A, the UFC buys out uh, Bellator, B, Bader is released, it uh, comes back to the UFC, C, Cormier is released, he goes to Bellator. That, that I mean, what, what other options do we have, really?
0: We had an interview with Jack Hermanson on FIFO, and we're going to do this where we talk a little bit about the interviews. He discussed the Middleweight division's depth, and he said, "I think there are divisions with greater depth at the top of the middleweight division. There's been some people for ages now, just because those guys are really good. It's really hard to get in there and into that top five because those guys are on another level. Many people look at the middleweight division. The top of the middleweight division is one of the strongest. What do you think, Joe? I mean, we we are seeing a major turn, and it's it really mimics. I think I can't remember what it was. Maybe the light heavyweight division, but." There was a long time I was talking about this shift. I was talking about Silva's going to fall out. Bisping's going to retire. Machida's going to hit the bricks. We're, we're really seeing that, and we're seeing guys like Jack Hermanson and Israel Adesanya not just crack this top five, but we're seeing them do it very quickly, and they're about to lose another one in Luke Rockhold, so we're about to see even even more of a shift. Yeah,
2: any division that's not lightweight or welterweight Uh, Where the natural human, natural male size can cut down to, uh, is going to see a fluctuation in terms of up and down, uh, you know, uh, um, a golden era, not, uh, you know, a bronze era, golden era is coming back and blah, blah. So we're going to see that uh, anything from 185 pounds all the way up. uh, And of course, anything below 155 and down. Although, uh, you know, featherweight's been doing really, really good as of late, but there's always going to be an up and down sort of thing with all these different divisions. But um, I, I, the fact that at middleweight now, we're starting to see, you know, this quote-unquote new blood come into that top five and really showcase uh, what's out there. When you start looking at number six, Shaqaree Su is a seven. Chris Weidman, Paulo Costa is at 80, could be moving up soon. Derek Johnson, we'll see with Jared Caneer. The guy on the top five is looking. Uh, this thing with Luke Rockhold, uh, man, do I really want to see Luke Rockhold and Anthony Smith eventually fight? Well, I mean, Anthony Smith's got different problems this Saturday, but that's a fight I really want to see
0: connections uh wearing out a little bit we'll we'll see if we can get that straightened up but Hermanson also talked about employing a mental coach and he said uh that after the tiago santos fight he had to do things to turn around he said that he analyzed himself and said why did i lose this fight what can i do for that to not happen and he got himself a mental coach and uh he said that he started to talk with him and his question was What is it that George St. Pierre has done than everybody else? And he says, with a sport about inches, one hit on the chin can be different. What has he done to be able to defend the belt so many times without failure? And the mental coach says, well, the only thing that you can think about is the things that you can control, the things you can do better, and let's see what that is. And then Hermanson said that he scanned his whole life, everything that he did, and started picking and fixing things so that that's been helping him getting mentally prepared, and obviously it has paid off. I mean, uh, he he spoke at length with Harry Kettle about this, and it's hard to argue with the results, and considering the fact that he was willing to get a mental coach, Joe, and he wanted to compare himself to GSP, I think is perhaps appropriate, because at times we've seen GSP be one of the most high-strung guys in, in the sport in the fact that you know, he, he has a lot of pressure on himself and he does not hide that. He is very transparent about the pressure that, that he carried throughout that, that time. What do you think of Jack Hermanson's uh, mindset and the fact that uh, since then, in those last year and a half or so, he's went on this great success?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I was looking or while you were speaking, you're probably looking at the screen because I was looking over to my bookshelf. I've
0: got. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
2: Two books uh, that were given to me by George St. Pierre's uh, mental coach at the time, uh, around UFC, when he lost the title to Matt Sarah, uh, and had a re- when he came back and, and won that title, and we had an interview with him, and he gave me a couple of books to read. Um, they're more baseball related, but they're all about mindset. So in, in terms of Jack Hermanson, I think it's a fantastic job. I think all fighters, uh, if you go back um, not so long ago, maybe in and around when George St. Pierre lost that title to Matt Sarah, and, and the importance of psychology. Um, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, fighting is ninety percent mental, ten percent physical. Right? It's, it's, I I just wish people at times, and I had this conversation. I feel like almost every UFC (laughs) event, uh, every MMA event, every sporting event, uh, now that I'm very heavily involved in the soccer world. And, you know, to do what you do, whatever you're great at, whatever you're good at, imagine doing it in front of a massive live audience. And multiply that by if you're on pay per view or if you're you know with the internet now everything is being streamed you know millions of people potentially watching it. You're still a human being. You're still the the, the difference between Jack Hermanson, George St Pierre, and whomever is watching or listening right now, or you or I, isn't much. They just happen to be great at what they do, and they're doing it on a grand stage, which multiplies. You know, Sean, for every time you've sparred in the gym just imagine those times when it ends up just being you and your partner sparring with everybody watching. Yeah. You know, 20, 30, 40 people in the gym at one time watching you. It's, it's always an, an event. event.
0: It's always an event for them.
2: Yeah, but it's, it's nerve-wracking for you. Now you're doing it in front of the world. Okay, It's a lot tougher. I mean, David Loazzo and I would have conversations all the time about the anxiety that he used to go through uh, every single fight. I mean, here's a guy that would d- destroy you with spinning back kicks and elbows. You'd, you know, he'd, he'd rearrange your cranium uh, with his elbows. But the minute you realize you're in front of a crowd and you've got to do that. I mean, Kamar Usman said the first time he fought uh, MMA, he literally felt naked. And when I say naked, the literal term naked, he goes, dude, I'm out there in underwear. I'm just wearing underwear for goodness sake. My shorts, my MMA shorts are basically underwear. I am naked, doing my job naked in front of all these people. So mentally speaking, you've got to be able to tap into what these mental coaches always say and control what you are able to control and don't worry about anything. What somebody thinks of you when you're competing is completely irrelevant to what you're actually doing in the moment, which is trying to defeat an opponent or defend that that opponent against you. So there's so many different people would always say, Sean, how, do you, how would I used to get in front of potentially 9 million viewers live on television and never be nervous. I'm like, they're watching me. I'm not watching them. They're watching me. I got a job to do. I'm going to do my job. No, I'm not going to get nervous. You know, Sean, Sean Pearson used to rip me 18th hole. Have you, have you golfed before, Sean?
0: I have once. Uh, I got kicked off the course for driving Shocking. the cart onto the punting greens. I was new there. That's not good. That's not good. Well, a, a quick story. <laughs> I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn how to golf.
2: When you get to the 18th hole, there's sometimes an unwritten rule depending who you're playing with. Uh, Whoever, uh, you know, it's usually a par three, generally speaking. It depends on the course. But when you drive the ball, whoever gets the furthest from the pin, from the drive, has to buy a round, has to buy the first round when you get back to the clubhouse. So uh, at that time, I was the fourth of the foursome to shoot. And Pearson is just ripping me, just giving it to me in my ear. You're junk you're garbage, you're paying for drinks, blah, blah, blah. And I hit this, it was, it was a, a seven iron, maybe six feet from the hole. And he just looked at me. He's like, I chirped you the whole time. How did you keep that mental focus? And I just simply said, dude, 9 million people are watching my show at any time. You think one person's going to intimidate me? Right? It's all, all I could control was my swing, hitting the ball, getting it straight, putting it on the green with a UFC fighter, a welterweight, just giving it to me in my ear. Irrelevant. Focus. Focus on the task at hand and you'll be fine.
0: I love that type of insight. Uh, Again, that full interview with Jack Hermanson and Harry Kettle is up on our YouTube. We have several articles. He also has one up uh, from Ricardo Lamas, I believe. So uh, make sure you guys check that out as well. Well, the main story of the week, Uriah Faber noted last week that he was getting the itch to fight again and said that maybe he'll have a fight imminently. He does. It's in Sacramento, July 13th, against Ricky Simone. Now, boy, there there's a lot to this one, Joe. <laughs> Uriah Faber back for the first time since 2016. He's taking on a guy that I think is the right opponent for him to kind of step in there with. It's not a top 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 name but it is a guy who's won three in a row in the UFC he's 15 and one and I mean honestly he probably should be two and one after the Mirab Mirabhavashvili fiasco but it's a guy who could really benefit from a win over Uriah Faber even away for so long however what I don't want to do and Kaposa brought this up on Twitter I don't want us to do the thing where it's like oh guy who had clearly lost the step is back three years later and we're going to act like he's reinvigorated no he's he's 40 years old. He turned 40 a couple weeks ago. And did he win his last fight? Yes, he did. Was he supposed to? Yes, he was. Uh, He hadn't won three in a row in quite a while before that. What are you looking for out of a uh, Uriah Faber return?
2: The natural inclination is to go all vintage, right? Just, is is he going to be that aggressive fighter uh, that the guy that's got all crazy kinds of heart when he fought, Uh, Mike Thomas Brown broke both his hands in a title fight and had to rely solely on his kicks and elbows. Uh, A guy that's a a UFC Hall of Famer, right? But the reality is, he hasn't competed in two or three years. Uh, He's not, you know, he's got to make 135. Like, dude, you're 40, you got to make 135. Uh, I mean, the questions that I've had since the news broke is the many whys. Why are you doing this? Who made the call? Do you need money? Are you fighting for money? Are you fighting for joy? Are you fighting for pleasure? Are you helping the UFC? Did the UFC come to you and say, We really need a name in Sacramento to continue to sell out this card and and just continue to, to, to somehow, some way, build our brand? I mean, there's so many whys uh, behind this. But, uh, you know, and Ricky Simone, wasn't even in the top 15, by the way. I mean, Thomas O'Made is at number 15, but yeah. he hasn't bought since January 2016 or 2018 and lost. Ah, what a weird set of rankings this is. But, um, the Uriah Faber that I'd like to see is going to, I'd like to see the vintage Uriah Faber. I mean, it's the same thing I think about PJ Penn, right? But it, it's, you know, I, I he's going to be in Sacramento fighting at home, sleeping in his own bed for his training camp. Uh, You know, we'll see, you know, what we'll, we'll kind of, and he's got great heart and he'd be able to tap into that that warrior spirit no matter what. So could get real interesting.
0: I mean, why, why not? He's going to make six figures for this fight. The UFC and ESPN were probably like, man, look at my hair. This is a nest. I keep trying to brush it back, but <laughs> ESPN's probably happy about it. The UFC's probably happy about it. Uriah Faber's going to make six figures from it. It's going to make whatever card is there more interesting. So I, I'm down for it in that regard. I think it's it's a smart idea. Uh, I do. I think it lasts a long time. Probably not. Maybe it's like a 2019 thing. Maybe maybe over the next year. But I, I don't have that much of, of a problem with it. And uh, Joseph Bosa says we technically don't have a main event yet for Sa- Sa- that Sacramento. I think we're going to see that a lot more where we get late main events. The UFC has a little more flexibility in that regard, Joe. I'm sure they have pressure from the likes of ESPN, but they also don't have to war- rely as much on ticket sales as they, they once did. And they know that Uriah Faber is going to get asses in the seats in Sacramento. That, that's that's a tried-and-true method for them, and especially a return fight. I, I like the idea of it. The UFC is like, you know what? If everybody else is getting into the yank them out of retirement game, we will too. Uriah Faber was very smart about this, Joe. He never left the USADA testing pool. He said, you know what? Uh, if, I, if I can handle the, the inconvenience three times a year, it's going to pay off. And he never left the USADA pool. He has been tested. Ever since 2016, in his retirement, he has been in the pool. I would check it every once in a while, and I'm like, okay, he's still there. And I think he had mentioned that at one point, but he's been tested this year, and last year, and the year before. Uh, very wise because then he doesn't have to sit out that six month period. Joe, yep. um, savvy on on the behalf of your RIA favorite didn't cost him a dime. So, hey. Uh well, that
2: f- that says a lot though Sean that says that this guy has probably been been contemplating returning at any one point in time because that's that's something that's required uh is the random usada testing so uh that's a very good point on your end there
0: he uh was was very very wise very wise uh in that regard UFC Stockholm this weekend it's a big big weekend in the afternoon uh UFC uh stockholm that night nxt 25 uh we also have uh, a combate show this weekend but uh which uh, i oddly has a ton of odds on it like i don't know i saw that isn't that isn't that unusual that there are so much like i, I want to inquire about that yeah because that that's unusual like most bellator shows get like a couple of cards with odds on them but ufc stockholm we're gonna preview this show we're gonna uh, give you the fight odds. We have Dar- or Dario Stosic or Darko Stosic rather, plus 105. Devin Clark, a minus 125. Danilo Bellardo, minus 105 over Joel Alvarez, the minus one, or actually Joel Alvarez, minus 115 over uh, Bellardo, the minus 105, a virtual pick We have Bia Malecki, minus 120 over Eduardo Santana, the plus 100. We have Rostam Akman against Sergei Kazanko. <laughs> Kazanko is a minus 165. Akman is a plus 145. You have Daniel Tamer, a plus 125. Sung Bin Yo, a minus 145. Christos Giagos, a plus a 155. And Demir hadzavic a minus 175. Now, those are some of the lesser names on this show. Is there anything there that stands out to you? Because most of these lines are pretty damn close, Joe.
2: Well, I like the santos Ray fight, of course, for, for more reasons than one. Um, Camacho and Hein. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those cards that's heavy with local talent or at least European talent uh, before we get into the big names,
0: right? Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about some of these bigger ones. Stevie Ray, a plus 175. Leonardo Santos, a minus 210. Now, Leonardo Santos was one of those guys that looked like He could be poised for a really good run. But, I mean, time has not been uh, kind to him in that regard. He's never lost in the UFC. He's unbeaten in his six fights, but it's like he even beat Kevin Lee. But since he's he's not fought in two and a half years, Joe. Yeah, yeah. You you can't be 39 years old and not fight in like two and a half years. He's favored to win this fight, but it's one of those situations where you wonder when it's going to go. And the people—the only people who have beaten him uh, since he got on Tough Brazil—is Santiago Ponzanibio. Do you think that he can continue this? And, and what do you think that these two and a half years off have done to him?
2: It, it, you know what? First of all, I apologize for bringing up that fight because when you were going through the list, I brought the site up, and I thought you just you said it, so I shouldn't have brought yeah. it up. But That's yeah. Okay. And before that, though, like I mean, to answer your question, there's one site, Sports Interactive, minus two sixty. Yeah. yeah, Santos. That's a plus 190 on Stevie Ray. If that isn't a, you know, Sean Ross Sapp, I got five on it, <laughs> I don't know what is because Stevie Ray, although he hasn't been fantastic, he's he's been competing. Santos hasn't. I mean, I, I know he's got the name. I know that uh, if this fight goes down to the ground, it, it could be over pretty quickly because that jujitsu skill set never seems to go away. Even no matter how old you are, speed may go away. But some when you're in some, you know, world champion jujitsu's garden, it eh, could get ugly. But uh, this is definitely a fight that someone should put five on it, man.
0: Also, uh, I want to point out what Joseph Boza mentioned. The santana Maleki fight is particularly interesting because that's a women's 145-pound fight. Yes. And it's a person who has, like, what, one pro fight against a person with three pro fights? Women athletes, if you play volleyball, if you play basketball, if you are looking for an outlet to become a professional athlete, and you are a taller, bigger girl, and you can get down to 145 in a healthy manner, train MMA. <laughs> you might be a UFC fighter in a year, and that is not a stretch. If you win two or three fights professionally at lightweight, bantamweight, uh, featherweight, you could get a 145-pound fight in the UFC. I have begged some people, that ha- some college female athletes in my area, move into MMA. You can make that happen quickly, especially if you're you're a little bit bigger. Uh, also on this show, Joe Lena Landsberg. Speaking of plus two forty, Tanya Avenger minus two eighty. Both a f- couple of former uh, cyborg victims. A lot more stock in Tanya Avenger than there is Lena Landsberg at this point.
2: Yeah, she's heavily not heavily favored, but significantly favored in this fight here. And I agree. I agree. I think Avenger is going to win this fight. Uh, I mean, you're never going to be able to question her heart. Uh, Landsberg can go the distance, but Evanger is going to put that pressure on her. I think
0: she'll steal a minimum of two rounds to three, two rounds to one. Second biggest line on this show is that is that fight. Yeah, there's also uh, Alexander Rockich, a minus two thirty against Jimmy Manuel, a plus one ninety. <laughs> that, that's a that's an interesting one, Joe. I mean Rockich is obviously doing very very well, and you look at when you look at jimmy Manoa, he's got that knockout power but unfortunately for him he has not been making it happen of late he's 39 years old and again you got to wonder when that goes away we've not seen a knockout from jimmy we have not seen a win out of jimmy Manoa in two years since the since 2017 he's only won one fight he did have a great fight of the night against Blahovic, but I'm, on the, I'm of the belief that Jimmy Manawa is on the decline. Obviously, he's lost to Blahovic, Santos, and Ozdemir. He, he had lost to Johnson and Gustafson before that. But if you're beating Jimmy Manoa at least prior, you're, you're on your way to something, Joe. Yeah. And it seems like at least uh, the betters seem to think that that's Alexander Rakic.
2: Well, He's on a 10-fight win streak, 11-1, and one, um, and he's fighting a name. So it's perfect for him to take on a guy that has a name that mo- and, and and most people don't know his own name. Um, so it can get pretty interesting because if you if you do the math here for a second, Jimmy Manoa is ranked at number eleven, right? Like you get a win over Jimmy Manoa, that's that just means he's got a name up there. You you could be in that top fifteen uh, Sunday morning, right? Or at least in the, when the when the rankings come out again. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Even, I mean, the, the odds are crazy here, if you ask me. But yeah. maybe they're right, Sean. Maybe they're
0: absolutely right. Yeah, this will be definitely in my I got 500 picks. Uh, Rocket just stepped in. He had that KO over Devin Clark. And, my God, the guy fought fights everywhere. His last four fights, he's went Austria, Netherlands, Germany, Canada, and now Sweden. The guy is all over the map the last couple of years. But Jimmy Manoa can put somebody out with one shot, so I don't know if I'm comfortable with those odds. Well, you know, the down. first three three to four minutes are going to be fantastic. Yeah. right. And then after that, it's, you know, little boy, look out. Now, I really think the top four fights on this show are just awesome. Like, I love watching Maquan Amir Khani fight, and yeah. the guy is just hilarious. He's a plus one hundred. Chris Fishgold a minus one twenty. I don't hate where this line is necessarily. Uh, it, it seems fair, but uh, is there anything you are necessarily looking for out of uh, Fishgold that, that gives him the edge for the for, at least from the betting standpoint?
2: Not necessarily. Oh, I mean, I mean, we know Amir Khani that lost to Arnold Allen. Was a split decision loss, and of course that Jason Knight fight. Jason Knight's not an easy guy to beat. That was a split decision. Yeah. Uh, you can't really fault him on that. But his, his start off in the UFC was fantastic with the Andy Ogle. Uh, I don't remember that flying knee and the punches after that. Amazing. So, yeah. So it, and it's the little... meme
0: afterwards, do you remember that when somebody yeah. goes, uh, "Would you be interested in the rematch?" and he goes against who? <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Right.
2: So he's got he's got some character to him, right? So he's got his, his you know one two is it five fights in the UFC now four or yeah. five fights in the UFC so. Uh, I think he's going to continue his run. He's going to make a name for himself again. Uh, take nothing away from Chris. I mean, nothing away from Chris, but, um, you know, it, it is what it is right now.
0: Yeah, and Chris Fishgold is is very, very good. Uh, he's He he dropped the fight to Calvin Qatar and won his next fight against Daniel Tamer, but this is one I may actually go the direction of, of Amir in, just because we've seen that explosive ability to knock somebody out very quickly. Fishgold has a very good submission game. I mean, my God, it's... It was almost a habit in Cage Warriors. He would just drag people down and choke them out. I think yep. he had four of five fights in a row that, that ended that way. And I think he had like six or seven choke submission wins in in Cage Warriors. So this one could be a very fun fight. Uh as could be Eler Latifi versus Volkanos Ozdemir. I think it could be very good or very terrible because of the skill set of Eler Latifi. You know Latifi, he's gonna throw a big hook a big overhand he's going to try to get in the clinch and take Ozdemir down. Ozdemir is going to try to put his fist on the side of Latifi's face and make him unconscious. Ozdemir -120, Latifi at +100. I think that's a fair line considering the skill sets involved. But who do you think's winning this?
2: Well, look at all the pressure's on, right? The pressure is all on Vulcan Ozdemir. He's on a three-fight losing streak albeit against some pretty good names um it seems Latifi just ha- goes these little streaks, two wins, one loss, three wins, one loss and uh he's he's off that one loss now. I mean the last time he's won or he's lost two fights in a row is never is never, right? So interesting to note with that. So this co-main event is gonna be fun. Ustamir, I'm sorry, cannot afford to lose. nobody can really afford to lose four fights in a row. uh the pressure yeah. is on him uh this is in in Latifi's backyard. He lives in Sweden. ozdemir uh, technically lives in, in California, or excuse me, in Florida. Uh, although he's he's you know from Europe, it can get real interesting here. And you know has got to put on a, a good enough performance that he doesn't lose, but a good enough performance that he does win and keeps the stock value up, right? So I think I think it's going to be a really good fight because Latifi's no joke. He's just so compact. He's so powerful. But Uzdemir, with his pressure, might be able to catch Latifi making a big mistake and then capitalize with the TKO, right?
0: Bellator would love Uzdemir. They would just love Uzdemir. Yeah. Somebody to kind of mix up that light heavyweight division who loves to throw bombs. And if if I'm Bellator, I would book Volkan Uzdemir versus Rampage Jackson at about 225, 230 pounds in a heartbeat. I would love to book that fight if I were them. Main event, the biggest... Line discrepancy on the show. Alexander Gustafson, the former title challenger, a minus 325. Anthony Smith, a plus 265. Gustafson cannot stay in the cage. He got injured when he was supposed to fight Ozdemir. He got injured when he was supposed to fight Little Nog. He got injured when he fought Teixeira. He got injured the, fir- the second time he was supposed to fight Jones. Um, they, they couldn't make the first Noguera fight happen. Uh, out of the Musashi fight. There's still time for this fight to not happen. And I'm. it's one of those fights, Joe, that I'm not convinced will happen until it happens. Anthony Smith will show up to fight. We know that for sure. I think that line is insane. Considering the fact that Anthony Smith has fought just quite frankly some of the greatest fighters in the UFC present day. Uh, he fought both of the members of, of the next light heavyweight uh, title fight. He beat the brakes off of, or he tapped out Volkan. He beat the brakes off of Shogun and Rashad. No big deal there. But uh, do I think Anthony Smith will win? Not necessarily. Will he be? And I got five on it pick. He will. I want to know what you think.
2: I got cinco pesos on Anthony Smith, brother. Uh I got five on Anthony Smith in this one here. Take nothing away from Alexander Gustin, who's going to have that reach advantage and, you know, fighting at home and, and, you know, maybe able to kickstart his career again, right? It's sure. a very highly skilled fight, very highly skilled. People should not be sleeping on this fight here. But Anthony Smith is a murderer, and he, want, he he was just freaking out, dying to get back onto the horse after that John Jones fight, just dying to just say, the guy nullified me, wasn't able to do much. I need to get back in there and prove what I'm worth, and what better way to do it than a guy like Alexander Gustafson, who's been the consummate number one or number two ranked fighter in this division. So uh, a lot at stake here for both of these fighters. Uh, Alexander defending his ranking, Alexander defending Holmes turf, uh, Anthony Smith wanting to continue his you know, career that started way back when he's been competing for a long time. And just for his own sake, uh, mentally speaking and physically to be able to perform, uh, at a level that he believes he can perform at. So this is a solid main event
0: for sure. I like it. I'm excited for the show. I'm like, it's funny because my, my relaxation is coming back to work that that's like when I travel. Uh, Andrew's the same way. I'm like, man, I got to write. I got to write. I got to write. I got to edit. I got to do all this stuff. And I, I look at Saturday afternoon, MMA nighttime wrestling, really excited for it. I can kind of unwind Sunday. But Sorry,
2: Sean, what, what time is this show on? I mean, I got to do some 13 hour time zone change in my head here.
0: Uh, middle of the afternoon. I, I'll have to take a look at that. Uh, we always have the, the start time and, and all that up on fightful it looks like, uh, roughly, like mid afternoon, like four or five PM. I'll I'll check it out though. But four or five PM start time that makes it five AM. No, no, no. I'll, I'll okay, yeah. So you'll be over in Japan, obviously. Yeah. Let me, let me take a look. Let me that's take a breakfast,
2: a look. man. Breakfast in UFC, man. Because I'm usually up
0: in Japan at six AM. It's listed as one PM Eastern, but I don't know if that's the main card. So that's that's much better. Much better. Uh, UFC Sweden Stockholm. Yeah, Sweden. I got five on it picks. The first one I got to go with is one that Joe also went with. Anthony Smith, a plus 265, a guy who has fought consistently often and at a high level against Alexander Gustafson, a guy who is very good, but we often see have trouble getting in the cage. And who knows, maybe some of that trouble of him getting into the cage will carry over because you never know when a guy like that can't get in the cage, what he's working with once he does get into the cage. Maybe he's got some issues there. Jimmy Manuel, a plus 190. I think that is a fair one to take against the minus 230 Alexander Rockich. Do I think Rockich will win? Probably. However, at plus 190, Jimmy Manuel can net you a little bit of money with one swing of that big right hand. Also, Lena Landsberg, a plus 240 against Tanya Avenger, minus 280. This is another fight where do I expect Avenger to win? Probably. However, women's MMA can end up in some very odd positions and uh, is a little more unpredictable. I can compare it an awful lot to MMA, uh, UFC heavyweight in particular, where sometimes skill doesn't always get the job done. Sometimes it's it's the luck of the draw. It's, it's throwing that big hand, that big foot out there. Look at Megan Anderson, her last win against Kat Zangano. Sometimes you just catch a toe to the eyeball, Joe.
2: you know what everyone you got to follow uh either fightful or at sean Rossap on twitter whenever a ufc event goes on and the ladies for some reason find themselves in positions that probably sean and i have never ever found ourselves in in training for the multiple decades that we've been training they seem to find it and you know sean is going to tweet about it and there could be an
0: f-bomb in there or something so sorry go ahead sean uh, I was told the prelims start at 10 a.m. Main card at 1 p.m. Damn it! Two. <laughs>
2: Wait, no, no, 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. Yeah. Eastern. Yes, that puts it at 2 a.m. for me. Ah. I'll wake up and just rewatch the show.
0: You mad? I will be here right after that show. Uh, we're going to be posting videos from this podcast. I'm going to be doing a lot of other live update videos. I was going to do one last week about Wilson Hayes being cut, but Google Hangouts was being weird. We are on podcast platforms everywhere, guys. Uh, Make sure you all show Harry Kettle some love. He's been doing some great stuff for us, uh, getting us some really good names, Ricardo Lamas, Jack Hermanson. But uh, I'll be here on Saturday as well, guys. UFC rankings video coming up this week as well. Until next time, guys, we're out.